You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ Tuskegee Auburn, and AM620 WTRP LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the host of this show. And today I've got Brooks Childers and Tom Peavy with me once again. And uh, going to have a lot to talk about on this show. we got to recap Auburn and Texas A&M from last night. Uh, yet more fun things with the officiating. We've also uh, got two guests today. 3.30, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. 5.15, we'll have Joe Bartle of Rotowire to talk all things Super Bowl. And because LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record last night, we're going to have a little bit of a game in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to give you some of the more famous records out there, and we're going to tell you if those are breakable or unbreakable records. So a lot to do on the show today. Birthdays and sports, as always. Nightly TV Guide. A lot to do here on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Again, Ryan Brooks and Tom with you here today. Tom, how are you doing? Uh, <clears throat> whoa, excuse me. Doing great. Um, yeah, uh, tough one last night for Auburn basketball. Uh, you know, we'll deep dive into more of that, but uh, just a – tough loss and uh but you got to put it behind you rebound and get ready for the big one coming up saturday with uh alabama coming in here and college game day coming on campus so uh can't dwell can't dwell on that one uh you got to move on but uh other than that doing doing all right ready to talk some sports ball uh, sports ball is always uh, what we like to talk about uh, brooks how are you doing unless we talk about hockey for a little bit then it, it's not really sports ball it's sports puck ball puck puck ball <laughs> thing yeah uh auburn basketball uh played you know didn't play awful last night kind of you know got their feet back under them uh after that tennessee game where they they didn't look great uh they didn't you know shooting the ball well but then you know the the uh you know we talked about it yesterday the uh the pat adams effect came into uh play last night Goodness. with that game um a lot of free throw shots uh on especially on one side of the ball three technical fouls were assessed during the game and yeah it was uh you know it, it wasn't pretty auburn had some chances to to win that basketball game last night but you know i'm, I'm not gonna I, I i'm not gonna sit here and say it was all the refs but you know there was there was some there, there, there was a little there was a little disparity on on the a little on, slant on, there on, yeah <laughs> there, there was a little little texas home cooking uh down there in in college station but yeah I'm, we'll, we'll dive into all of that uh lebron james broke the scoring record last night a uh, big moment for uh the nba big moment for basketball history uh happened last night um yeah it was uh it was a fun night in sports a lot of stuff going going on and you know this Auburn basketball team now turns and looks toward the uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide, number three team in the country coming in. They play tonight. They host Florida tonight, so we'll get to see a 
little bit more of them before they come to Auburn on Saturday. But yeah, it, it's going to be a fun day on Sports Call. Can't wait to uh, talk to all of our callers. Can't wait to get to that uh, the segment you teased earlier about the breakable or unbreakable records later in the show. That should be really fun. Yeah, well, I, I put seven or eight on the page, but uh, I you baseball. It's so hard not to put a lot of baseball records on there because there's so many different stats in that sport that that are relevant, and a lot of them, obviously baseball being the oldest sport here, a lot of them are very well-advanced records. So we only put a couple on there, but just know when we do get to that segment, there could have been seven or eight more just from uh, Major League Baseball. But let's dive right into Auburn and Texas A&M. Of course, Auburn falling just short in another road game, another quad one opportunity. Tigers falling 83-78 to in college station uh and i mean let's not beat around the bush bush the the story here was the free throw shooting free throws 31 of 39 for texas a&m auburn at 9 of 14 a&m shot 25 more foul shots they made 22 more foul shots i thought percentage wise auburn Look, I, I think even though they gave up 83 points, I don't think it was a poor defensive effort. Obviously, things got a little bit off the tracks late in the second half. But, I mean, just the pure numbers here, 31 points coming out the foul line. Sure, you can criticize Auburn's defense a little bit for committing some of those fouls, but also we know how the game was slanted and how it was called. And uh, one team shoots 39 free throws, the other shoots 14. And, and look, it's not like Auburn shot a ton more threes. They shot 24 compared to AM's 18. So Auburn went down low as much as AM did for the most part. And yet AM ends up with 25 more foul shots. So I, we'll look, we'll, we'll, there's going to be plenty of times where team shouldn't be dead even it shouldn't be 18 to 16 or or 23 to 22 or something in the foul shooting department but when it's a disparity this wide that is clearly going to be a part of the story and look 22 more points for a&m on the foul line than for auburn at the end of the day and almost impossible to come back from that yeah uh i mean it was it was said i mean auburn it felt like auburn was playing eight against five uh, you know, adding the three the three officials in there. Uh, so I I'm I'm usually uh, I'm usually one of those that you know I I don't like to say that the refs caused the game or dictated the game, and I can usually pick out something as Auburn you know just didn't do this or didn't do that. Auburn played well enough to win this game. I mean, seven, you you score seventy eight points. Uh, the the rebounding was right there with them they they only uh you know a&m only had uh four more rebounds and i mean it, the the numbers are about the same on the rebounds um turnovers auburn had 10 to, 10 to 12 had to, yep so i mean the turnovers were in favor of auburn uh and you know i don't again i, I don't like the fact that auburn took 24 three-pointers i i'm still gonna sit there and and say that that's way too many threes to be trying to attempt but you still hit nine uh you know you hit nine of the 24 nine is a lot better than 37 than than what they have been doing so yeah 24 is too too much but overall auburn did enough to win that game like i said scoring 78 points on the road when you look at all the other stats everything is pretty much dead even but the free throws Uh, i mean a&m made more free throws than auburn attempted by a lot. By a lot. So, I, you, that's just that's that's lopsided, and 
you know, you can sit there and talk about, it, like you said, with, you know, Auburn's defense, you know, and the fouls. But, man, I mean, after a while, it, it, it kind of becomes pretty obvious that there's, there's not, that it's not being called evenly. I mean, when, when Texas A&M is doing the same things to Auburn's defense and not getting foul calls, and then Auburn gets the foul call, you know, it just, there's a disparity there that you just can't overlook. And so, Kind of what I say to that one is put that one away. I, I know it goes down as a loss, but uh, I don't think Auburn has anything to hang their heads about with that one. I mean, they were right there nip and tuck. They had a lead late in the game that they went back and forth a few times. Went, yeah, yeah, went back and forth a few times. So, I mean, Auburn did everything they could possibly do to win that game, and the officials just would not allow that to happen. And I I will go ahead and head this off. No, there's not a conspiracy theory against Auburn. It's not the the officials are out to get Auburn. They're out to punish Auburn for something. It's not. No, it's not that. It was just a poorly officiated game. Um, you just don't have that type of a discrepancy in free throws. That that just doesn't happen. Uh, if you're if you're calling it evenly, if you're if you're calling it straight down the middle evenly. You're not going to have that type of disparity. So, I mean, it's definitely not like Auburn was just out there tackling dudes and just hacking away at, at folks. No, it was not like that. It was a lot of ticky-tack stuff that was called, and then the same ticky-tack stuff on the other end of the floor was not called. So, that's what that was. The officials made that game. 100%. The officials made that game because everything else is pretty much dead even. There, I can't, There's not a stat on here that I can really find that is overwhelming one way or the other towards anybody. Everything is almost dead even on the stats except for free throws. Even something I'd like to point out real quickly here that that Auburn is typically not as good at doing uh, compared to other teams. They actually outpassed A&M in a sense in this game. Auburn had 16 assists to A&M's 12, and we talked about Auburn having 10 turnovers to A&M's 12. They were actually a little bit better distributing the basketball. I think they only had five assists in the Tennessee game, which yeah. is just unbelievably low. And obviously, it's an unbelievably low-scoring game, but still only like five assists in an entire game. And they come out, they assist 16 times on 30 made baskets. They're always going to have some isolation stuff from Wendell Green Jr. and company and Alan Flanagan, but but they actually passed the ball much better in this game, obviously, because they scored 78 points. You score sure. 78 points on the road, uh, that's going to be good enough to win the vast majority of the games and uh, as I want to mention again giving up 83 points is, is incredibly deceptive because they actually they shot better than A&M did they did yeah both from the field and from three uh, Auburn shot 47% from the field A&M shot 42% and even in that second half where Texas A&M scored 46 points in the second half 24 of them were from the foul line. They scored more points from the foul line than they did from the field in right. the second half. Auburn's defense only allowed A&M to 40% shooting from the field and 33% from three. So very just different levels of frustration here yeah. lately for Auburn. Uh, frustration in the Tennessee game from not being able to score at all. Uh, and then obviously a foul call late that did not go Auburn's way. And now frustration from actually, when, when you look at it, both sides were good enough to win it was just the fouls and the foul calls that amounted and amassed really throughout the entirety of the game right that that really disabled auburn from having a good chance to win that thing yeah uh yeah i mean you look at the field goals auburn hit 30 
uh, from the field, Auburn hit 30 to 23 for A&M. And from the three, Auburn hit nine and A&M hit six. So Auburn outscored A&M in every, the facets of the basketball game of scoring. Auburn outscored Texas A&M in that. And then that that just that free throw discrepancy is just so astronomical. It, it it's it's honestly just very ridiculous how lopsided that foul thing was. And uh, you know, if I'm Bruce Pearl, I'm I might be making a phone call to some offices somewhere and was like, listen, that that's not right. There, there's there's no realm of basketball that that it should be called that way. That 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 there's any way that that's right. Like I said. This is not like Auburn was out there just tackling people and shoving them around and just, uh, you know, just brutally hacking them and and just being reckless. It was it was very ticky tack things. It's like the refs have, have you got a choice to either swallow the whistle or blow the whistle on that one, and you blow the whistle. But then on the other end of the court, when you got the same thing, you don't. And, and it's 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 ridiculous. But again, I'm going to say this. You just as Auburn, you just got to put this one behind you. Uh, you know you did everything that you could possibly do to win that game, and there were things that were going on in that that were completely out of your control. And and sometimes that happens. So you just put it behind you. Yeah, the L is on the books. That stinks. But you got to go ahead and move on to Alabama and and hope that things will go better Saturday. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. We talked about how AM likes to play physical. And so you could have gone into this game and if you said, hey, who's going to shoot more free throws? You probably could say AM is going to shoot a few more because of their physicality, but not this many. Not no. not this this disparity between the, the t- both teams and their free throw shooting. Um, and, you know, cre- like you guys said, uh, credit to Auburn. They didn't play a horrible basketball game. They no, played no. well. Yeah. They, their defense played well. They they adjusted. I know, you know, you think about a couple weeks ago when A&M was here at Neville Arena, Tyrese Radford lit them up. Right. It was – It was. He, and he only had, what, 10 points last night? He only shot the ball six times. Yeah. But then you had Wade Taylor and Julius Marble step up and hit 22 and 20 respectful, respectively. But still, Auburn was in that basketball game. They had chances to win that game. And it was just, you know, it, it was there. There was that such that free throw disparity between the two. And then, you know, you talked about uh, Bruce Pearl maybe making a phone call. He, you know, last night he got on his uh, post game presser, and he, you know, he talked about he 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 talked about the uh, the technical that was assist on Alan Flanagan that he uh, early in the or late in the first half. And he said he was, you know, he was just celebrating. I, I didn't realize that, you know, there there was a rule now against celebrating a basket. And he thought that especially that technical foul early against Flanagan was uh, something that should not have been called. And, right. you know, it, it's it it was it's a tough one. As you said, Tom, you got to put this one behind you. You got to look at the film and say, hey, we did not play bad basketball. This is basketball that can win in the Southeastern Conference. We've just got to one uh, move, you know, like you said, move past it. And, and two, clean up a few things. Clean clean up a little bit of, of, of your defense because you still gave up 83 points sure. on the night. So you got to clean up a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and now, you know, you get ready for an Alabama team coming into your house. And now, you know, if you're if you're Auburn after last night's performance, I think you got to get a little bit mad that that happened. you got to get a little bit mad that you've now lost two in a row to Tennessee and to Texas A&M, two games that, in theory, you probably should have won looking at the way they, those two games Very unfolded. Yeah. Uh, and now you got to host Alabama. you got to get in there. you got to get mad. And you got to come out on Saturday and play like you mean it. 
Yeah, look, again, and we'll have uh, thoughts as we start to preview the Alabama game a little bit later here. Uh, And, again, a reminder that there's no Friday show this week, so we'll start to preview Alabama towards the end of the show and then certainly tomorrow. But uh, at some point, though, it's frustrating, but they'll have to find a way to win one of these big games because we talk about the the NCAA tournament situation. And, and look, you might get some decent credit in the net rankings. You might not fall. You might even go up for playing quality competition. But at some point, the losses can't keep stacking up. And so uh, Auburn's – look, this one not really of their own doing. They played well enough to win. There's really not much to poke at in in terms of their performance. But uh, at some point, they got to find – a way to get one of these games. Hopefully, uh, there's not many more or any more that the that the referees have something to say there in the in the outcome. We need to take our first break of the show today. When we come back, birthdays and sports, and we'll get ready to talk to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer again. That's coming up at three thirty. Stay tuned. More sports call after this. have your attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call on this Wednesday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here today. Just a few minutes, we'll be chatting with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We'll uh, probably have to bring up Bucky's again since he sparked another Bucky's conversation yesterday. Uh, and then uh, we'll we'll have to obviously bring up Auburn basketball and that sort of thing. But uh, I, I'm telling you, every time I pass by where they're building the Bucky's right down the road, it just like I get more and more excited because I see new things. It's like Ooh, asphalt. <laughs> hey, I, I think it's supposed to be they in got March. Gas, they've got gas pumps up now. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, it's about to happen. It's uh, it's going to be very soon. But uh, before we take this next break and we get to Justin Ferguson, time for today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports is presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn and the other on Frederick Road in Opelika, let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Big list today. We'll start out with Johnny Hecker, who turns 33, current NFL punter for the Carolina Panthers. Went undrafted in the 2012 NFL draft out of Oregon State, but signed as an undrafted free agent with the St. Louis Rams at the time. Super Bowl 56 champion, four-time first-team All-Pro, second-time or second, yeah, two-time second-team All-Pro. Four-time Pro Bowler, member of the NFL 2010's All-Decade team. Holds NFL records for highest net average punting yards in the season with 46. And longest punt in a Super Bowl at 65. Those will not be on the unbreakable or uh, breakable records later today. But Johnny Hecker turns 33. 
Julio Jones turns 34, current NFL wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, selected sixth overall in the 2000 NFL Draft by the Atlanta Falcons out of Alabama, two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL receiving yards leader, was the receptions co-leader in 2015, member of the 2010 All-Decades team, was a on the All-Rookie team while at Alabama, the 2009 BS, BCS National Championship, 2008 SEC Freshman of the Year, and 2010 First Team All-SEC selection. Julio Jones turns 34 today. Alonzo Mourning turns 53. Former NBA center selected second overall in the 1992 NBA Draft by the Charlotte Hornets out of Georgetown. 06 NBA champion was a seven-time NBA All-Star, All-NBA First Teamer in 99, All-Second Teamer in 2000, two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, and also two-time NBA All-Defensive First Teamer, led the NBA in blocks twice, was on the All-Rookie Team in 1993, and was a consensus second-team All-American in 1990, was the Big East Player of the Year while at Georgetown in 1992, and two-time USA Basketball Male Athlete of the Year, member of the Basketball Hall of Fame and FIBA Hall of Fame, Alonzo Mourning turns 53 today. Clay Thompson turns 33, current shooting guard for the Golden State Warriors, selected 11th overall in the 2011 NBA Draft by the Washington or out of uh, by the Golden State Warriors out of Washington State. Four-time NBA champion, five-time NBA All-Star, two-time All-NBA third-teamer, All-Defensive team in 2019, was the three-point contest champion in 2016. At Washington State, was two-time first-team All-Pac-10. As his jersey number one retired by the Cougars, one of the great shooters of all time, Clay Thompson turns 33 today. And Courtney Vandersloot turns 34, current point guard for the New York Liberty, selected third overall in the 2011 WNBA Draft by the Chicago Sky out of Gonzaga, 2021 WNBA champion, four-time All-Star on All-Rookie Teamer, All-WNBA first-teamer twice, second-teamer three times, six-time assist leader uh, while at Gonzaga, three-time WCC Player of the Year. Courtney Vandersloot turns 34. Courtney Vandersloot... Clay Thompson, Alonzo Mourning, Julio Jones, and Johnny Hecker are today's birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. We need to take our next break of the show. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. Don't miss that. That's coming up next. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au i'm jeff whitaker jr former auburn tigers defensive tackle and national champion and you are listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Sports Call here at Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here today. Recapping all things Auburn and Texas A&M and a lot to do today. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the LeBron record last night, most points scored. We'll uh, talk about some of the unbreakable records in sports in a little while. Also start to transition towards the Super Bowl big week in the sports world as always. But for now, let's go to our Auburn Bank phone line and welcome in 
Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here for our weekly chat. Uh, Justin has been very busy traveling all over the over the country, honestly, covering Auburn basketball here as of late. Justin, it's uh, good to talk to you again. I hope you're well, sir. Yeah, doing well, doing well. I uh, hope you guys are doing all right. Is, is the weather all Auburn right now? It's been miserable here in Texas, so I'm hoping it's, it's a little bit better back home. It's 78 degrees and sunny today, but I think oh, some man. rain moving in later. Yeah, I think I'm because it's currently 49 and raining in, in Houston, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 is headed this way, but for for now, uh, it has been a very nice day. I think tomorrow and Friday going to be kind of yucky. But uh, Justin, obviously going in Texas, I, I want to start with something fun here before we get into something that's not as fun, which has been referee talk. But uh, you in Texas went to a Bucky's, and I wanted to tell you that we had our first Bucky's experience last week headed up to Knoxville uh, st- yeah. <laughs> stopped in the Calhoun Georgia Bucky's and uh, that was overwhelming is what it was I I, uh, I start to understand what the what the hype is all about yeah but it is pretty cool that's pretty much everything you'd ever want uh, yeah but I think the stuff they make in house there is like really, really good quality. Um, like, yeah, I went, I went to one on the way up here, and then I just passed it like just a few minutes ago on the way back. So I slipped in and got me something to drink real quick. But yeah, it's just I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm hyped for the one in Auburn. Obviously, being so close to it, it's going to be good. It's not going to wear off, you know, wear off on me. It's just, you know, it's a thing that goes back to when I was in college. I was on a road trip in Texas. And we see this giant gas station off the side of the road, and you're like, "All right, we gotta go check that out." From there on, it's just like, "Okay, yeah, this is this is definitely worth the hype." Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, there was a lot going on there, that was for sure, and uh, we definitely took advantage of some of the unique to Bunkies items. Uh, that was sure. Got a brisket sandwich, got some uh, some yeah. fudge, uh, uh, got some habanero pork rinds that were pretty good too. Uh, yeah. Um, do you have a favorite food item at at Bucky's? Yeah, that's a yeah. It's a really it's a really good question because I think about this a lot. I, and I, you know, I get questions in my about it from time to time. Like, like, I think I'm gonna make a new. Or I'm just like, um, but my single favorite thing that they do is in the mornings they'll have uh, breakfast tacos, and they have a breakfast taco there uh, called the Hippo. Which it, you know, it's a taco supposed to be, but by the time you get to the size of it, it's basically a burrito, and it is bacon, egg, cheese, hash browns, pretty salsa, and it's like my hands down my favorite thing uh, that they do there. You know, if I'm ever near one in the mornings, I'm going to get one. It is it, it is my go-to, and I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be looking forward to around in Auburn. Very nice. Yeah, I, I don't know if we were willing to do the burrito route at, at 10 p.m. on a road trip, but uh, yeah. <laughs> at other normal times of the day, that might work out well. Uh, chatting with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here, let's transition now into the reason that Ferg was in Texas, and that was to cover Auburn and Texas A&M basketball uh, in College Station. And, Justin, unfortunately, the conversation just has to start with the, the huge discrepancy in foul shooting uh, last night, how frustrated should Auburn uh, be about about what transpired last night? Very. I mean, you should be very frustrated about it because here's the thing: Auburn 
gives away a lot of fouls like that are, that we already know that they, they foul teams a lot on defense has been a problem for them this year and Texas A&M draws fouls better than pretty much anybody in major college basketball so there was always going to be a lot of fouls for Texas A&M with the game the way the game was being officiated however it's the fact that it was so lopsided and it wasn't like Auburn wasn't trying to go in like they had more uh, makes you know at the rim than, than A&M did it wasn't like Auburn was settling for bad jumpers and not driving and not trying to create but it was just it's just so lopsided and really the free throws kind of changed the game you know Alex Langan hits a three gets a tech those are free throws that free throws start a those free throws start a huge run for Texas A&M and then A&M like Dallas that like minute you know that little stretch there with about about eight nine minutes left to go in the game until about three minutes left to go in the game where it was really good shot making on both sides you got a situation really where you know, it was just A&M was able to stay in front because they were just drawing fouls on every end. And, and they did a good job of hitting their free throw. So you get to an end of a game, and the other team has almost almost triple the amount of your attempts and, and, and makes. Like, that, I mean, that's the game. Auburn shot better in this game. They had more field goals made. They were better from three points. They turned the ball over a few times. They held their own on the boards on the road. They did everything they needed to do to win that game, except foul without, I mean, guard without fouling. And uh, it really cost them. And then even in the end of the game, when you know you have a you have a situation where um, uh, you have a situation where Janai Brooms back into the game, but he's got four fouls. He has to guard differently because of that foul trouble. And AM was able to take advantage of it. Like Bruce Pearl said after the game, you got to be able to you got to be able to get stops late. You got to be able to to guard without fouling. Um, but you know that that big of a free throw discrepancy is just really really hard to overcome. Uh, well, and so now here's my question. I mean, obviously Bruce Pearl is going to be very frustrated with that. I, I mean, is this a situation? Does does he make a phone call? Is there a phone call he can make to somebody to, to say, "Hey, what's going on with this?" Or do you just kind of just got to chalk it up and move on? I think you have to chalk it up and move on, but definitely it's something that he's he's really been frustrated with because obviously the Wendell Green Jr. non-call at the end of the Tennessee game sticks out. Obviously the way the game was officiated here sticks out. You know, it, 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 it's something that you know you you voice your displeasure, but I think at the end of the day it's like you're like you know it, it can't you can't change it right. You know you, it right. won't even if you even if you raise a fuss. So I, I think Bruce did a good job after the game of you know not blaming the officials for the loss and not going kind of crazy about the about the calls but instead of just being like you know what we've got to do a better job uh, of what we're doing you know in this game if we're going to have a chance to, to win and beat good teams and so I think that's the thing is that you know you, you turn it into a thing like hey play defense and try to play so it doesn't come down to the referees uh, but obviously I mean that it was it was the big reason why they why they won that game and so it is something that's going to kind of stick in the side of their head for a while it's another kind of what if you know, if the game was officiated a little differently, if some of those shots fell, uh, you know, in Tennessee, I mean, you could be talking about an Auburn team that is like really, really rolling right now. Instead, you know, they're 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 in a tough spot and they're going to have to rally from it. Justin, uh, I wanted to talk about. You mentioned the defense there a little bit, and I want to go back to the defense on the side of the uh, for the the Auburn Tigers. Is you saw in the first matchup here at Neville Arena that uh, Tyrese Radford just went nuts, and then last night it yeah. felt like Auburn's defense did a good job adjusting that, only allowing him six shots. He only had ten points, but you had Wade Taylor and Julius Marble go off for twenty two and twenty respectfully. What what was your thoughts on the defensive play last night for the Tigers? job of impacting the ball screens. I think uh, Wade Taylor got some good opportunities to kind of bomb away from deep a little bit. Some 
some quick threes, some open threes that he was able to take. And then, yeah, I think Marble, Marble did most of his damage there down the stretch when Janai Broom either wasn't on the floor or when he was on the floor with four fouls. So it's just like Auburn could have done a better job. I asked Bruce Pearl about that afterwards. He said, you got to do a better job. You know, front the post, try to deny that pass and not let it happen. Auburn's defense just it wasn't good enough in the game, right? You you can even say with the offici- with the officiating, you can even say with the free throws, it just it just wasn't what they were doing, especially coming off of what they did against Tennessee. Um, you know, you, you just need to play better defense without getting those fouls. You got to play better defense, not allowing those open shots. Um, and Taylor Taylor took advantage. Marble took advantage of the situation, and you know that that that'll stick out. I mean, that is something that you're gonna you're gonna remember for a while if you're Auburn. And I think. That's the thing for this team is that they play great offense. They did they did everything on offense and on the boards that was enough to win this game. And then, you know, in Tennessee they play great, I mean, elite defense to try to win that game. The problem is is that they haven't been able to put that together. And then when Auburn puts together a complete game, I think they can beat some really quality teams. And I think they can make some noise down the stretch. However, we just haven't seen them do that yet, and, and, and it's getting late in the season. There's only seven regular season games left. So if they're going to get on a run and, and, and put it together – um, you would like for it to be here soon uh, to, to put you in yourself in the best position for the postseason, but it's got to come. It's not like you haven't seen here and said, like, oh, there's no way Auburn can beat a good team or, oh, there's no way that Auburn can put it together. Like, they have shown every component of being able to win and play quality basketball. It's just got to all come at once, and uh, we'll see. I do think they are getting better, and I think they are you know, doing a good job of being able to kind of bounce back from these, from these tough performances. Um, you know, it's not like a team you – know, they, they score 43 in Tennessee and then have a great offensive game at Texas A&M. I mean, it's just, they have a short memory, which is very good, and, and I think that's, that's going to be necessary for them to put it all together. Justin, you sent out this tweet a little bit earlier today talking about uh, Auburn's metrics going into this. And you, Like you mentioned, you got very limited games coming up. How does this game for the Tigers affect where their standings come You know, once you get to tournament time in March? Yeah, they lost this game, and they only dropped one spot in the net. I mean, here's the thing. Auburn has played... Auburn's about to play their fourth of four, you know, quad one games in a, in a streak of five. Now, if you don't get any of them, that's tough because that's something that definitely quad one games boost your resume. It doesn't kill your resume because, like, if you lose to good teams and you lose like Auburn has done for the most part, close games to good teams, you don't get knocked for that very much uh, by the NCAA selection committee. Uh, but what instead is like you have a chance to kind of get more comfortable. Boost yourself up. I mean, that's that's the key for Auburn right now. It's like they've got to play these quad one games and, like, get one. And so if it's not Saturday against Alabama, you get a few more down the stretch at the end of the season with Kentucky and Bama and Tennessee. You need to get at least one, I think, to feel really comfortable about what you've got, uh, you know, here moving forward. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, losing close games on the road when you're an underdog doesn't necessarily hurt you a ton. And, like, Auburn right now pretty much is a consensus, 8C, 9C, you know, you have, like there's some talk of, from like Auburn fans to be like, oh, well this team's not going to make the tournament, and this team team's in danger of missing the tournament. That's not the case right now. The case right now for Auburn is you know they've just missed opportunities to get firmly in better seed line. You got to look around in the league, in college basketball. It's a weak bubble. It's a weak year of college basketball in terms of contenders in the power conferences. So Auburn's been able to take advantage of that. So it's more missed opportunities than anything. I mean, you win against Tennessee, you win against West Virginia, or you win against Texas A&M, you're talking about Auburn being really in a really, really good spot. Instead, you lose all three of those games. You lose a fourth to USC on the road when you don't have Wendell Green Jr. And it's like any one of those games would have been great for their resume. So for Auburn, it's just 
it means that you have no margin for error in the games coming up where you do, where you are favorites. Missouri, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss coming up. So you got to take care of business against those and get one of these. Whether it's Alabama on Saturday or one of the ones down the stretch, you need to get them um, because, again, it won't hurt you, but you need to at least be able to show you can do a little something against the best of the best to make sure in the eyes of the committee that you are definitely an NCAA tournament team. And three of these final seven regular season games are against Alabama and Tennessee, including the first matchup with the Crimson Tide this weekend. College game day coming to Neville Arena on Saturday. We know the environment is going to be electric, but we also know that this Alabama team coming in, Ferg, uh, is is an awesome basketball team, and it goes beyond yep. Brandon Miller. So what are all the things that, that they do well and what Auburn's going to have to be on the, on the alert for? Yeah, I know Alabama is just a, a – offensive force and, and you know their defense has been pretty good too this season really really good i should say but like they their offense is, is incredible i mean they have so many weapons um you know brandon miller obviously i think is the best player in the sec this year uh and as a freshman he's doing a lot of kind of what auburn got out of out of jabari last season um which is which is pretty impressive to see that kind of go back to back here in the state maker you know mark sears is having a great season they're able to get really good production out of a lot of different guys they play fast. They play deep. Um, for Auburn, though, you got to look at the games where teams have been able to either come close to beating Alabama or, in the case of Oklahoma, beat Alabama. And one of two things have happened. And number one, you either play just awesome defense, make it really, really tough, just go all out, slow the game down, play at your pace, grind them down on defense, and try to try to win that way, which I think Auburn is fully capable of doing. Or you just get hot at home, hit some shots, um, you know, and, and, and kind of catch up, you know, kind of kind of get a, you know, get that home court lift, which is obviously what uh, Oklahoma was able to do because there have been some games this season where uh, Alabama's defense has gotten carved up a little bit, you know, not as not a not a obviously not a ton a ton of streak. They still haven't lost an SEC game, but yeah, this is a this is an uh, Alabama team where for Auburn it's just like you're gonna have to play your best game of the year, which is possible. Can you put it together? Can you put the offense? from the A&M game, the offense from the Georgia game, and you, can you put the defense from the Tennessee game? Can you fuse that together, play in front of a great crowd, you know, hopefully get the whistles to go in your way a little bit better because you're at home? And and you could you could definitely walk out of there with a big win. Like that is it's, – it's definitely on the cards. But it's going to take really, really good. It's going to take something complete. Uh, that's the thing. We've seen Auburn play offense and defense well enough to beat a team like Alabama this year. We just they got to do it together because Alabama is just so balanced and so good on both ends of the floor. Talking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Ferg, I know it's a busy time of year. We're starting to get ready for Auburn baseball, Auburn softball, a lot of things coming ahead. So what do you have ahead at the Observer? And then I think I also saw another mailbag in the works as well. Yeah, mailbag coming up on Friday. We also are going to have a uh, podcast for all of our subscribers on Friday morning where we uh, look ahead to the Alabama game. Maybe talk a little bit of leftover stuff from the from the A and M game, uh, but you can check that out. Uh, and then, yeah, we've got a ton of stuff here uh, coming up. You know, we had obviously had a lot of uh, availability with uh, Auburn's uh, football coaches last week. Still got a lot of stuff going on from that. You can read a story I wrote earlier this week about um, you know, Phil Montgomery and Hugh Freeze trying to combine their their knowledge together and make an offense for the first time in their career. Kind of sh- sharing with one another. Um, just kind of the mindset going into that. You can read that. There's a lot of other football stuff on there as well, some recruiting stuff. And, yeah, we've got a ton of stuff coming this weekend, obviously with the mailbag, with the podcast, with the Alabama game, and we're getting closer and closer to football. So we'll, we'll have football newsletters as well. 
perfect time to sign up. AuburnObserver.com. It's $6 a month, or you can pay $60 and get a full year, which means you get two months free uh, if you do go ahead and pay for that full year. Uh, and everything we do gets sent straight, straight to your email inbox. So uh, post-game observations from uh, you know basketball games, football insight, mailbags, podcasts, we send it all to you about 6 a.m. Central Time pretty much every day of the week. Uh, AuburnObserver.com. It is a really, really good time to sign up because we just got a ton of stuff coming on, especially with spring football here in the works and basketball hitting the stretch run. Absolutely. Justin, as always, the, the time is greatly appreciated. Be safe traveling in that uh, very not fun weather, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, y'all be good. Thank you. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. We need to take our final timeout of hour number one. We'll wrap things up for hour number one in just a moment. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Final segment of the first hour here of Sports Call on this Wednesday. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy. We appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us here on the show today. Traveling back from College Station, but still uh, was able to take some time out with us. If you missed that interview, you can go check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. As I mentioned, just a couple minutes left in the hour uh, random news thing that I want to bring up here because I saw this during the the interview with Ferg, and it just made me it made me confused <laughs> um, of how these kind of contracts get handed out. Florida State has extended Mike Norvell's contract contract wow. through the 2029 season, which would be his tenth if he's able to make it that far. Gets a big pay bump, he'll go up to eight point zero five million a year after earning four point five million a year, almost double there. And I want to remind everyone, despite the ten and three season that he had at Florida State last year, in his three seasons with the Seminoles, he is eighteen and sixteen overall. Eighteen and sixteen at Florida State. And he's getting an extension that will pay him $8 million a year and will go through the 2029 season. I'm sorry. Does that not like does that not seem absurd to you? Yeah. That's... 18 and 16 overall at FSU. Yeah. And I, I could make the argument that 
if they go like seven and five next year, because they're going to be expected to be a top ten team in the country with their ten and three year this year with Travis coming back, yeah. like like they're going to be expected to have a big year. So if they flop next year for whatever reason and go like seven and five, I could make the case in firing him. <laughs> he would be. It, let's just go by the seven and five model I was using. He'd be twenty five and twenty one in four years at Florida State, a program that. Uh, should be much better than that. A program that plays in the ACC where no one other than Clemson is is incredibly relevant nationally. Like, I'm just saying, I just don't know how these agents can can trick these schools into doing uh, this. Well, and 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 the other the other part of that scenario, I mean, when you're looking at uh, you know the Florida State boosters or the powers that be there at Florida State, and you've got Norvell in there and. Yeah, and I mean, you're like, yeah, you're going to give him that kind of an extension and everything, and yet, and if he flops, you got a guy over in Colorado that you would probably make your very first phone call to. Sure. And, you know, why Why are you going to handcuff yourself to this guy for that extended period of time? I don't know. That but, doesn't make sense. And well, and even if you weren't thinking about Dion, I mean, it's, it's Florida State. It's a big program. It's not like you're going to have to fend off a bunch of suitors for Mike Norvell. This is Florida right. State is, in my opinion at least, not a stepping uh, stool job, you no, know. I mean, no. there there might be a couple that you would you would greatly value over it, or something like Ohio State or Alabama or something. But realistically, that's not going to be anything other than a destination job. And look, I okay, get to be fair, Jimbo Fisher left it for A and M, but the situation was a little different there because Fisher had that awful season at Florida State compared to all of his other years and then jumped ship because he saw it was going he down. He saw the writing on the wall. So yeah. not only did he get an insane amount of money from, from A&M, which they're now regretting, but he had a really bad year before that, which kind of told him that he had run his course there. So you're not just looking to leave a job like Florida State. I just, at $8 million a year, and I know everyone's got all the money and blah, blah, and they'll pay it off, but just I don't know why, as you, you use the terminology, Tom, handcuff yourself. I, I don't see why one good season after going three and six and five and seven the two years before <laughs> really needed a uh, a top 10 or 15 salary in the country. He's, he's got a really good agent. He does. I don't know if that's a Jimmy Sexton deal or not, but, but it sounds like sounds some, like, sounds like a Jimmy Sexton deal. So I just wanted to bring that up as uh, Florida State has uh, signed Mike Norvell to a contract that he – honestly we'll probably not end up completing at florida state out of time for hour number one we'll hit up the auburn bank phone line and retire word am steve in hour number two and a lot more sports call coming up after this stay tuned more after the break One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. 
It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of this Wednesday edition of Sports Call getting underway. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here, coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Again, appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in hour number one. Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us in hour number three, but this hour, completely free, so we'll take your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up here in hour number two, it's Matt from Phoenix City. Matt, how are you doing? Man, I'm great. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Hey, uh, i got to end the debate. I want to talk about a goat. There's a lot of debate, I'm sure, of who is the greatest of all time. Some people might say it's LeBron. Some people might say it's Michael Jordan. But I don't even want to talk about those two. I want to talk about Jimmy Sexton. (laughs) Is there a human on the planet that does their job better I'm not sure you could give somebody the job of inhaling and exhaling for a living, and they could do it better than Jimmy Sexton does his job. Yeah, I I tell you what, did we confirm that he's Norvell's agent? I mean, he probably is, but... Oh, he is. Yeah. He is. That's that's another steal right there. Look, I'm going to tell you. You, you know, obviously Florida State's trending up. Three and six. What was it? Three and six, five and... Seven. Three and... and yeah, you're right. Three, yeah, three and six, five and seven, ten and three. Yep. Okay. Well, that, that's great. That is great for Florida State. But we're talking $8 million a year until 2029 for two games over 500. Yeah. I don't understand. Did, 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 was somebody beating the door down in Tallahassee to get to Norvell? Or is it possible that Jimmy Sexton can create more panic among a university president than anybody that has ever lived? I, I think it's the, it is, the latter. I mean, it is, I'm not, I'm not going to say it was a knee-jerk decision. I have no idea what all went into it. I have no idea what kind of human being Mike Norvell is. I have no idea what kind of football coach he is outside of, of you know, common fan knowledge. But I can tell you this. $8 million a year is a lot of money for a college football coach that is two games over 500 at your university. Oh yeah, that's a lot of money. But look, while while we're while we're talking about grades, I'm expecting 
a a follow-up call. You have a fan that calls in that may be one of the greatest bammers of all time (laughs) that claims that the Crimson Tide is going to roll into Neville Arena and drop a hundo on Bruce Pearl and run Auburn out of the Coliseum by 50. And I want to know what you're willing to put on the line on your confidence. I I think Jimmy Sexton gave him a phone call and talked him up before he called yesterday. (laughs) I want to know what we're laying on the line. First of all, Alabama will not drop 100 in Neville Arena. Second of all, they might beat Auburn, but it ain't going to be by 50. And I've got to know, what are we putting on the line, Anthony? And and I guess I need to switch over and listen to Feinbaum to hear your response. <laughs> but I'm going to turn the volume back up and wait on the phone call. Thank you very much Good. for the call, Matt. Thank you very much. That is Matt from Phoenix City joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Yeah, that that one yesterday, uh, look, we, we went to break right after it. I recall it. I, I did not want to give it the – honestly, I didn't want to give it the service of, of great breakdown because uh, a 50-point game uh, against Auburn is just not going to happen. And, and Matt said it right there himself there that, yeah, Alabama might win on Saturday. They might be able to sweep Auburn this year. Alabama is a really good team. But – we know that Auburn is not a bad basketball team. We know that they are very good at home. We know this is a big-time rivalry. And no matter what happens, it's not going to be a 50-point blowout. And it's not going to make Auburn look like Tony Barbie is coaching them again. Right. Uh, and, and so uh, we'll, we, will, we will see if Anthony calls in uh, after that game, and especially when it's not what he said it will be. But uh, I, I can't imagine that kind of result. And, it, it by the way, I do not think Auburn will lose by 50 or, or anything of the such, even in Tuscaloosa. That, again, this is not – Auburn is not LSU, and Auburn is not Vanderbilt, uh, Vanderbilt who, they, who they ended up uh, beating really bad, um, or Alabama did in Tuscaloosa. Even on the road, Alabama did not squash them like they, like they did at home. So – uh, I, I don't think that that will be um, – I think it's safe to say it will not be anything what Anthony said it would be. No. I, yeah, that, I, just, I don't see that happening. I, I, and I agree with everything. Alabama could very well win this game. Uh, Alabama's going to be favored in this game. Yeah. But, no. A 50-point win, no. Not happening. Not happening at all. Yeah, I think, uh, I think everyone can agree – on that one. All right, let's uh, let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line now. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show today, Tony from Tuskegee. Tony joins the program. Tony, how are you doing? Fine. How about yourself? Doing well. Great. Yeah. I um, watched that game last night, Auburn and Texas A&M. If Alabama get the calls like Texas A and them got they stopped one of the green. Alabama put up sixty points in Neville. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see them putting up 60. I don't think they're going to put up 100, and I don't think they're going to beat Auburn by I'm 50. I'm saying they'll, put up, they'll, they'll beat Auburn by 60. Oh, you said they'll beat Auburn by 60. Yeah, no, they're not going to do that, Tony. Nah. Yeah, if they, get the, if they get the calls that Texas A&M got last night, and uh, I, I never seen nothing like it. Well, I mean, I, I, I've I, never seen nothing like it. A, 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 a team shooting free throws like what I did once at a high school game at BG. W Union Springs. Uh, Union Springs had zero fouls. BTW had fourteen fouls. That was in the first first half. But the game last night, I never seen nothing like it. You know, it's um, it something should be done about officiating like that. I mean, a different like I heard y'all talk about it earlier. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, in difference like that, those guys shouldn't be um, officiated anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it, Tony. That's Tony from Tuskegee joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the officials lately. And, again, you know, it's not – it's not my favorite thing to do because we really just want the players to decide everything and we right. don't want to even have to worry about uh, if officiating played a big role or not in everything. Unfortunately for these last two games, the call at the end of the Tennessee game and then again throughout the a m game, they inserted themselves in the game and, and their calls were incredibly important and in, in this case one-sided. And we Brooks talked about with Ferg, Ferg talked about it, we figured A&M would shoot a few more free throws than Auburn. Okay, They got to the line all season long at a very high rate, and they shoot free throws well. There would be some sort of difference there. Something like, I don't know, 24-14 to 14 or 39-30 to 30 or 39-27, something like that. Not 39-14. to 14. Not, right. not almost triple the amount of free throws. Uh, and that is what is so displeasing. And, of course, it's on the road. And, look, we, we get it. There are usually a lot of, of home teams that get favorable whistle. That is not some hot take. That is not some unheard of uh, deal there. But to that extreme is very frustrating because if you just take the points from the floor, okay, if you don't count either team's free throws, Okay, Auburn outscored Texas A&M just from the field by 17 points. They would have had 69 if you take away Auburn's nine free throws. And you A&M would have had 52 if you take away A&M's free throws. Auburn outplayed them between the lines in live action. Yeah. Dead ball free throws is where A&M uh, made their hay and, and got the got the whistle and got the victory there. So, again, very frustrating with that. Uh, and uh, we, real, I just genuinely hope to not have to talk yeah. about this all year long. Yeah. But the last two games, it's it's been a factor. Like I said, it, that, and that's what's so frustrating when you look at the box score and you see how evenly everything was throughout all categories of that. And you know, we mentioned the rebounds. You know that that uh, Auburn uh, Auburn was only you know out rebounded by four. So I mean, that was dead even in field goals and threes. Auburn outscored them. Uh, turnovers Auburn outdid outdid them in turnovers uh 12 to 6 in the paint Auburn outdid them 38 to 32 uh second chance points it was 13 to 12 in favor of A&M so that was close 
Fast break points, 8-1 to one in favor of Auburn. Uh, now, there was a pretty big discrepancy in bench points, 22-10 to 10 in favor of A&M, but again, a lot of that comes from the free throw line. Um, I, I mean, everything on this points in favor of Auburn winning until you look at the free throws, and that's just a huge discrepancy. And I, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 again, I'll say this, I'm not one of those that likes to place blame on referees because you still got to play the game. But when you've got that big of a difference in free throws, then that is the officials putting themselves into that game and dictating how that game goes. And, and you can go back and you can watch that game. The things that were happening on one end of the floor that were not getting called fouls were getting called on fouls on the other end of the floor. And that's just simply the way that was. Now, you have to try to figure out a way to battle through that. But, I mean, at a certain point, you just can't battle through that. Yeah. If you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're getting called a foul, and then the same thing happens and they're not calling a foul, it it, it really just kind of becomes out of your hands and out of completely out of your control at that point. So it, it's frustrating. Um, this is one of the one of the more frustrating losses I think I can imagine because, like I said, in some of these others, uh, the Tennessee game, you can sit there and and point out things that you know. With Auburn, if you had just done this, it would have been fine. If you had just shot the ball a little bit better, right. it would have been fine. You can't really say that here. Auburn shot the ball great. I shouldn't say they shot the ball great, but they shot the ball well. well. They yeah. shot it well. They shot it a lot better than they did against Tennessee. You can't sit there and go, well, the defense. Well, no, the defense was pretty good because you force more turnovers. You're, you're on the boards dead even with them. They allowed only fifty-two points from the actual field. Only allowed forty yeah. percent. So, so you can't really sit there and say the offense was terrible. You can't sit there and say the defense was terrible. Literally, free throw shooting. Yep. And it, it's it's crazy. It's just absolute mind-numbingly frustrating uh, when you look at something like that, and you just uh, it, it makes you wonder why. It makes you wonder what they were looking at. Uh, you know why they were calling it that way. And and it, it, I've said it before, it's not like Auburn was down there just tackling people and just slapping them and just being very reckless. I mean, they were a lot of just very ticky-tack fouls that you can choose to whether or not to blow the whistle or not. It's one of those tweener deals that, you know, do you let it go, do you not let it go? Well, on one end of the floor, they were not letting it go. On the other end of the floor, the exact same thing, they were letting it play. So it, it's just aggravating, and, and the officials, have just they got to do a better job than that. All right, let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line. Next up, Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Well, uh, I'm still recovering from last night's what I call crap fest of a basketball game. Um, I will tell you right now, and my son agreed with me, who's played basketball. Had Alabama played last night against A&M and gotten all the fouls, that were called against us, they would not have won the game. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be almost impossible for anyone to overcome the foul shooting disparity that there is, that there was it last was night. 39 to 14, I've already mentioned that, and 27 to 17. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, with that being said, guys, uh, I want to get your take on this too. You know, there was, to me, a point in this game in the first half that I think somehow turned things around in favor of A&M. And that was the unfortunate, immature, I don't know what the heck else you can call it, because I, I use profanities 
I don't want to use on the phone uh, on uh, during the, when this happened. But why in the world did Flanagan throw the damn kiss? Oh, well, I, you see, I, the the thing about it is, you know, Bruce was asked about the that technical uh, in the post game, and he didn't think it should have been called. Yeah, Does that qualify he, for technical though. He didn't think it should have been. He he but said they were just celebrating. Qualify. Do the rules say that do something like that at the bench that he did he, he did at the bench? Uh, does that qualify for technical? I I mean, you you saw last year. Who was it last year that uh, that said something in, to uh, the the Syracuse bench and they didn't get a technical for Auburn? I, I don't remember who it was last year. I think it was. Um, uh, it was Jabari. It was Jabari Smith uh, in the the Mahamas game after scoring a basket, went over and, you know, kind of taunted the Syracuse bench, didn't get called for anything. Uh, and, I, you know, when it comes down to technical fouls, you're, you're given the rules, but sometimes it's by the ref's discretion on, you know, what's too far. And we've seen Janai get called for a technical this year. We're doing the, the too small motion when he, he dunks over someone. Or, and then we saw that last night, and it's, you know, like Bruce said, he didn't think it should have been a, a, a technical foul. He was just celebrating a basket. Okay. So that, for me, is when the game turned around. Because then they got the technical, then they got the possession, and we were winning by, I think, 9 or 12 points at that point. Yeah. And then it just started downhill. All right. Now, I want to ask you about this one. Uh, there was, what, 30 seconds left, I think, left in the game, and we'd gotten down to, was it two points? Uh, at, at what point in the game again, Steve? Well, right at the very end of the game, uh, I think it was like 30 seconds or less, and we got the ball back. And Wendell Green yes. goes down there. And I'm thinking, I think we were only down by two, wasn't it? Yes, so they they went down. And we could have tied it. All he had to do was go to the basket or have someone, and we could have tied it. And he goes for a just abysmal three-point. It doesn't even hit the basket. Yeah, so what happened on that one, uh, just again to jog everyone's memory, was uh, Auburn came into the front court, uh, tried to run something, and then after about 10 or so seconds, 15 seconds, called timeout. And then they came out of the timeout uh, and, and got a screen roll for Jalen. Jalen Williams could have taken that three. He then opted to pass it to Wendell, and there was about 9 or 10 on the shot clock. And instead of trying to work offense, then yes, Wendell shot a, a pretty deep three and airballed it. I mean, it didn't even come close to hitting the basket. And I just don't know why Wendell just didn't go to the basket and make him foul him. Yeah, certainly in hindsight, trying to drive. And, and they, I mean, Wendell had been effective driving the, the team as a whole. We talked about earlier, 16 assists and 30 made baskets had been was a pretty good passing day for them. So uh, you, you certainly would have thought maybe some sort of dribble penetration would have uh, resulted in some sort of more open shot. But also, Steve, I, t- I hate to do this, but uh, Auburn was not getting very friendly whistles. So just driving to the basket and trying to uh, get a foul call or something uh, would probably not have been gone Auburn's direction. Uh, you know, you may be right because uh, there was also one part of the game, I forgot, it was the second half maybe, uh, when Janai got called for two fouls consecutively within seconds. Yeah. Yep. You remember that? Yeah, he was in foul trouble for sure. Uh, I mean, they happened one. I mean, uh, quickly. The first one, then the second one, uh, right when they were inbounding. I said, what in the world happened? All right, but then then the uncharacteristic thing happened. And if it can happen, it happens to Auburn. Our best free throw shooter, because he is our best, Wendell Green goes and misses both free throws. Yeah, uh, and, well, and I remember him. Uh, I remember he him. One of two. I remember him missing the front end of a one and one too. Right. So they and then he missed two free throws in a, uh, to, uh, it was a two 
uh, foul shot. Again. But anyway, he missed two back to back. I said, "How do how you miss two of them? Don't do this, Wendell." Uh, and gee, I, I, I look. Uh, my son says he doesn't think we can make it to, to the, uh, the big dance because we only have one quad win. There are a bunch of other teams out there uh, that have uh, more than one quad win. We only got, what, three games that I, I, I'm sure we pretty much will win and should win, and that's the Ole Miss, Missouri, Vanderbilt game. Yeah. But my son says that ain't enough. Uh, so, guys, I want to run this by you. Will Auburn, do you think that Auburn will win any quad one games that are left remaining on our schedules? Yes. yes. I, 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 I honestly think Auburn beats Alabama this, this Saturday. I, I think they've got one or two. Re- I mean, look, both Alabama and Tennessee game in Neville Arena is going to be a, a solid shot at it. If, if This logic's not always perfect, but if Auburn can play to the last second in Knoxville against Tennessee, then they're absolutely going to have the chance to at least play to the last second with Tennessee in Knoxville. And then I do, like Tom said, I think they've got an opportunity against Alabama. And by the way, uh, with the quad system, going to Kentucky might still ultimately be a quad one game and Kentucky just lost on their home floor yeah, to Arkansas. Right. And it wasn't even close. So really the only one I don't think Auburn can get is the one at Alabama. But the other three quad one opportunities I still think are all in play based on what we've seen here as of late. Auburn's had a chance to win all these road games here recently. They've just had one thing go wrong, whether it was one guy going off on them, the referees, a bad call at the end of the game. Whatever it is, Auburn's been in these games, so all they need is one thing to change, and all of a sudden they get one of these victories. And I agree with you, Ryan. What my Damian started snake bit here is Auburn can't seem to pull out these games because of one or something factor that either they self-inflicted or they had no control over. The officiating either uh, bites us in the butt or we do something to call an unnecessary foul. And that's what I'm wondering, you know, uh, is Auburn going to just, you know, not learn to uh, do whatever they need to do to turn us around? You know, uh, I'm tired of I'm, I'm worn out by hearing, well, you know, Tennessee, we could have won that one. We should have won that. But, you know, this is what happened. Uh, well, at A&M last night, we had – in fact, I thought we'd won the game. But, no, that didn't happen. Uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering right now, uh, I'm, I'm jaded. Uh, is it is it really even in the cards for Auburn to win any games that don't involve fouls or free throws? Well, so here, here's what I will say. that There are still lay, different types of losses and that sort of thing. And, and the type of loss to A&M should be – it's all frustrating. But it should be a little less discouraging than other losses because it was nothing Auburn did. Like, like when you're trying to correct – you're trying to watch film, you're trying to correct yourself, make yourself better. Auburn losing that game because of something out of their control – bodes better for them being able to get one of these future games than Auburn consistently doing stupid stuff at the end of the game. Look, they have made stupid decisions, okay? And and as you mentioned, too, within that game, yes, the Wendell Green Jr. 3 was not a good shot. But every other thing they did was good enough to win the game. But they got a... Flanagan, Flanagan, but he messed things up. He caused a damn technical... All right, but the point remains. Auburn played well enough to win that basketball game. 
and so, and so when you have that mountain of free throws, that's something that is not really in their control when it's to that level uh, of slant towards the other team. And so what I'm saying is, yes, there's things to correct, but that type of loss is not something that, that I would pull from and say Auburn just doesn't know how to win a close game. If, if this had been a normally called game then, and they made some mistakes at the end, sure. But I think the encouraging part of it is that Auburn checked the boxes they needed to check. They stopped Radford much better. Uh, they strung together offense throughout the game, only had kind of one lull in the first half. And other than that, uh, were good offensively. Uh, they they did an, a plenty of good things. And so focusing on those good things, keeping what they can control uh, as the, the, the good parts of their team, th- they will be all right. And everything you said, Brian, you know, uh, is in our favor. However, this is the other part that I still want to present to you. You know, the thing that's out of our control is officiating. What is it about the officiating? What explains it that they seem to somehow, uh, I don't know, uh, skew toward uh, if Auburn, you know, goes to the basket, we get called for a foul, not the opponent. I want to see it called uh, on Saturday against Alabama because – what I will say is the, these biggest refereeing gripes are still ultimately games that happen on the road. And again, that slant usually happens in favor of the home team. So I want to see, uh, not that Auburn should be promised some great 30-something the 14 free throw disparity, but I want to see if, if Auburn at minimum gets 50-50 calls or at least gets maybe even, even 60-40 calls in that game, as most home teams are getting when when they play Auburn. Well, I'm thinking about the NM game, and I won't tell you more time. But uh, you know, at home, uh, I didn't think uh, there was any home cooking in that game for us. Well, and but also in that one, I will say this: the free throws were dead even in that game. They they both were shot. They? Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, they were they were. I'm looking. I've looked it up right now as you were talking. But I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything home cooking in our favor like you know it was for a And M last night. Well, sure, but also you know at 24-24, I could tell you. Well, okay, A and M does shoot like as many free throws as anyone in the country. So to be able to be even with them in itself is uh, at the very minimum not skewed towards A&M. Maybe it's not skewed to Auburn the way you want it, but it was certainly fair, if not maybe even a little slanted to Auburn just in it being tied. So, um, again, it's not that kind of disparity you saw on the road, and so things were much different in Auburn's favor, just they weren't very close for it to matter. And, Ryan, I know you said many times, and I understand these officials are not necessarily from SEC. They're from different uh, conferences. So is there any grievance that then, I guess, needs to be made, or they could be made by uh, Coach Pearl to the NCAA? Is that who uh, controls these officials? Who, who oversees them? Who, who has the oversight over them? I, I think the NCAA schedules them. I, 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 I'm not wholly familiar with that process, just because I don't know if you heard the part of the show uh, yesterday when I was talking about a couple of these referee schedules. Uh, yeah, but, they go to all different, all different places. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there was one guy that went from the SWAC to the Big 12 to the Big 10 to the SEC to, to the Mountain West. I mean, just all over the, the place. So that, to me, does not feel like it's a conference thing. Uh, maybe it is. I'm not, I'm not going to say I know exactly who schedules what there. All I can tell you is that many refs work with many different conferences. Yeah, I just didn't know if that's 
the the only place avenue that Bruce Pearl could file complaints or grievances and review. Does anybody even review these uh, these games at all? And says, hey, you know, this crew really uh, because I read some a statistician who said, you know, why don't you start doing this, keeping stats on all the games and the crews that officiate them, and see if there's any kind of a trend or pattern of bias by certain crews on you know calling uh, fouls that other crews don't do. Uh, that could be done and get metrics. Right. And, and look, I, I'll tell you this. I know Auburn people as of late, uh, not very thrilled with Pat Adams in, uh, in yeah, particular. Yeah, I've heard his name. So, uh, look, there's definitely some refs that, that work more games in one conference than the other, and Pat Adams is certainly somebody that works a lot of SEC games, and uh, he's been working a lot of these lately, and it's not been going well. Okay, finally, guys, uh, I was really uh, – uh, I was impressed and happy to see that LeBron finally did it. And I was glad to see that uh, Mr. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was out there um, to, to you know, honor him and congratulate him on breaking uh, the all-time record. Do you think it will be broken by anybody? I, I lean towards no. I, I think that it depends on how much longer LeBron actually goes. We're in a, in a big age of scoring in the NBA. I mean, teams now average 115, 120 points a game, whereas even 10 or 15 years ago they averaged in the 90s. And so uh, I think what what if LeBron plays another 150 or so games, he plays two more seasons worth of games, I think he's going to space himself out enough uh, to where he should be okay because he's going to have have put in you know about 20 years, 21 years in the league, and he's going to have scored 27 or so points a game. Uh, those those just longevity numbers incredibly difficult to overcome. I know, for example, like Kevin Durant averages just as many points per game, if not just a point one more than LeBron, but he's been hurt a lot in his career. So uh, I I if LeBron can be healthy for another year and a half to two years, I think. Think he will get it into a space where it won't be breakable. So it'll be a stone cold lock for eternity. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't want to be I don't want to be held for eternity on that one. But but yes, I think it would be a pretty safe record. All right, um, my, my time is up. I appreciate the time you give me today. Uh, I'll get over this eventually, I hope. Uh, but tomorrow is going to be fun Friday for us, right? Yes, it will. Okay, so I've got a fun. Uh, thing to bring up tomorrow. You may have already seen it. It's about a meme concerning the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. And we'll talk about it tomorrow. And it is hilarious. In fact, uh, the oddity about it, even though it started out as a joke, as a prank, it has now become uh, a prop bet for the Super Bowl. We love prop bets. Okay. Guys, thank you again for uh, calming me down. Uh, maybe, hopefully, the, this thing will turn around uh, for our basketball team. I hope, sure, God. Uh, the uh, the fouls, whatever they are, uh, start getting more more reasonable. But with that said, guys, have a safe afternoon and evening. Uh, I always enjoy listening to the podcast later on. So until uh, tomorrow, guys, War Damn Eagle, no matter what the referees say. Oh, I, well, I'm sorry, I just heard the whistle. I'll let you go. <laughs> War Eagle, Steve, we appreciate the phone call. That's retired War Damn Steve joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. We need to take our first break of hour number two, a little bit late doing that. When we come back, we're going to talk some records and sports. This is the Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, 
Play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call here on this Wednesday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here. About halfway through the show today. Appreciate Retire Ward AM Steve, Matt from Phoenix City, and Tony from Tuskegee for joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line before that break. Uh, Steve kind of ended us with the LeBron record. As last night, LeBron James became the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. He technically already was that when you can tie, uh, combined regular season and playoff points, but now the official regular season leader in scoring and if you listen to LeBron, he's going to play more, two, three, maybe even four more years. So it could really start to leg out that record. And that got us thinking, and I'm sure a lot of talk shows, honestly, today, about some of the great records of all time in sports and if they are breakable or unbreakable. And I've got seven or eight here in front of me. And, again, there's some of these sports. We There could be a million records worth talking about. Oh. And we'll start uh, – We'll start in college football because I have a couple college football ones on here. And I want to start with Ron Dane's rushing yards record. So Ron Dane out of Wisconsin, 7,125 rushing yards in his career. Is that a breakable or unbreakable record? I, I think that's a breakable record. Uh, I, I will say this. I think it's a breakable record if the player stays the full – Amount of years, four years. Yeah. Uh, the only the only thing that makes me think it could potentially be unbreakable is, you know, these guys spend a couple of years and then they're done, and so they never have a chance to to achieve that. But uh, for somebody that stays a full four, I think that's a I think that's an attainable record. Yeah, I mean, it's, tough. it's just it's uh, you know there, there's just not not as much longevity in in the NFL anymore except for maybe at the quarterback position you don't have a lot of guys that are really good for as long it's it's gotten so much where if you're not producing right away it your teams are starting to move off of you a little bit quicker in every position um you know it's it's uh i, I think it, it can be attainable i think if you're really really good um but i don't know i 22 th- you know, I'll say yeah. I think it's I think it's it's attainable. I think I think that meant yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. there you go. Uh, so I talked myself into it. Yeah, I mean, look with Ron Dane here. Oh, okay. Hold on, hold on. I was confused. I went. You thought I went, we were talking about I Jerry Rice? I went straight Rice. to Jerry Rice. Uh, that was the top of the page, but I wanted to start college football. I went football. straight yeah. to Jerry Rice. All right, now. Uh, now I, I'm you ready. said NFL, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Now and, I'm back. All right, all right. Ron, Ron Dane, seven thousand one hundred twenty-five rushing yards. I'm with Tom. I think if you if you are really good from your freshman year on through, it's very attainable. Um, but it it you just have to be a first. You know, you have to. I think you got to get in there that first year starter, and you got to be. It, and it also depends on college football, your system, like whatever system you're in. Like there could be guys out there that could be, you know, potentially. Like, Hey, I'm talented enough; they could do it, but they're not in the right system, and so you got to find your right system with for for that, and especially in college football now. 
I the the one thing I'm looking at I I'd have to go back. I don't know where this this stat came from, but I'm I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia career rushing, and I've got Donnell Pumphrey at number one, but they also only have Ron Dane at six thousand three. They have Ron Dane at six thousand three ninety seven. Interesting. I pulled this off of ESPN, uh, Worldwide Leader. So, uh, Uh, this is just off of Wikipedia. Donnell Pumphrey from 2013 to 2016, they have him at 6,405. Ron Dane, second at 6,397. Ricky Williams, third, 6,279. But let's just say, you know, for the sake of can this be accomplished, uh, Jonathan Taylor. Had six thousand one seventy four in only three years at Wisconsin, so that shows you it, it's definitely yeah. attainable. Because Jonathan with, Taylor got really close to it in just three years, and, and so you, if he if he stays a fourth year and has another thousand yard season, then he's over the seven thousand yard mark. And that Wisconsin system lends itself to that right. happening too. But it, but the thing is, I mean, you also see you know how recent some of these guys are, uh, and how and and how great they were. Uh, D'Angelo Williams uh, at Memphis, you know, left in 2005. He's over 6,000 yards. Uh, Royce Freeman from Oregon left in 2017, and he was over uh, 5,600 yards. So here, here's why the discrepancy. I found it. Okay. The NCAA did not used to count bowl game rushing for a career. Oh. And if you factor in Ron Dane's bowl games, that's where he has 7,000. Gotcha. 125 his bowl game yardage he <laughs> he had uh 246 in the 96 copper bowl 246 in the 99 rose bowl and 200 yards in the 2000 rose bowl that'll do it and me personally again the ncla.com lists pumphrey is first but it noted it made that asterisk about dane so i gave you kind of a controversial record I personally think if you ran if you ran for the yards, you ran for the yards, right? And they count them now, so I'm still going with Dane there as the seven thousand one twenty five. But that brings me to an interesting point about this record, and my point was going to be, you play more football games now than you did in the '90s, where you usually had eleven game regular seasons and then a bowl right. game or conf- maybe a conference championship, depending if you're the right conference. So you do play more games. The issue is. If you're a really good running back, you know that your carries are numbered. It's the most taxing position to play in football. And so you don't see many guys stay four years. Pumphrey was a great case because San Diego State was a smaller school. He wasn't valued properly. So I think for this record to be breakable, it's going to have to come out of a smaller school that's able to maintain their player for four years because a big conference running back is going to get a call to the NFL after year three. And unless you're going to rush for roughly 2,400 yards a year for three years, you're going to need four years to break this. So I will go breakable – but with the caveat, it's going to have to come from a lower lower part of the FBS, not a big big school. Yeah, well, and and yeah, and I'm right right there with you. Uh, the other reason, just looking at it again, why I think it's breakable, uh, is because the gap between uh, Ron Dane's record and who would be next is not that much difference. Right. So that makes me think it's attainable. But also, you have recent players. If it was a deal where Ron Dane was like the anomaly that you know set that rushing record and it was something that had not been done since like the 60s or something crazy differential and it's like 
that's going to be hard to attain because nobody ever even gets close to that. But you actually see guys, you know, kind of nipping at that. So uh, in recent times, and so that's why I think that's a, I think that's one that could be beat. It's going to be tough, but that would be, I think it's beatable. Get. Get me a, a four-year starter at a military academy. Yeah, there you go. Because, I mean, I, I, you know, just even looking at, you know, the types of seasons you have to have to do this. Melvin Gordon in 2014 rushed for 2,587. So, I mean, just just as recently as 2014, you had a guy for go for almost, you know, or over 2,500. Only a couple minutes left in the hour here. Let's get one more, and then we'll continue this into hour number three before we talk to Joe Bartle. Uh, another college football record. Patrick Mahomes is 819 total yards in a game. This was, the, I think, the 2016 Oklahoma game where they played Baker Mayfield uh, and had a huge shootout. Cliff Kingsbury was the Texas Tech coach at that time. 819 total yards in a game. Patrick Mahomes. Breakable I, or unbreakable? I think it's breakable because of how how much more you know the, the the game has gone offensively. Is if if you get a dual threat quarterback in a in a system and you've got some good wide receivers around you and you're you know say you're in a, a Pac-12 or a Big 12 conference that you know doesn't put as much emphasis on defense as maybe a big a Big Ten and an SEC. You can have some offensive shootouts. We've seen what was it last year? We had the uh, the was it Houston and SMU was like seventy points to something. Yeah, like some Mordecai of, had a touchdown, broke the touchdown record yeah. ten or eleven, something like that. You you've got chances. There's chances, and it's, and it, you know even in the smaller conferences like with the the rushing uh, record, I, I think you've got a lot. You've got chances with more offensive driven uh, football now to to hit that record and or break it. Yeah. Uh, that that record, uh, that Patrick Mahomes record of eight nineteen, he also set the record for to- most total plays in a game with a hundred. sense. A hundred. So let me add something real quick here. Only a minute before we got to take a break, but I want to remind you guys too that this went to a couple overtimes, few overtimes. Overtime now is different, and you can't accrue yards in anything but two overtimes now. The third right. overtime, you're doing two point plays at yeah. that point. So you're really you got to get at least seven seventy in regulation to be set up to get 50 and two overtimes and, and carry on just, just just throwing that out there yeah uh i you know i still i think that's attainable but again you're gonna have to run over 100 plays like they did that so is that record attainable most total plays in a game was it just 100 100 by by one team yeah yeah 100 texas it was against texas tech october the 22nd of 2016 um, and that's where he had the uh, 819 total yards. But they, yeah, they ran a record 100 plays in that game. Yeah, I mean, again, makes sense with the with the most yards comes the most plays. But uh, kind of funny that at that time we were just like this Mahomes guy ends up being pretty good. It's and like, uh, wow, that guy's all right. Yeah, and now he's uh, a lot more than all right. I would say is uh, he gets prepared for a Super Bowl. We will talk about that Super Bowl with Joe Bartle at 515 and Roto-Wire. But first, when we come back, we'll go through a few more of these records. We'll look in the professional ranks. We'll tell you if they're breakable or unbreakable. Stay tuned. Hour number three of Sports Call after this timeout.
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three of Sports Call here on this Wednesday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Fun first couple of hours coming up in just about ten minutes or so. Joe Barnell of RotoWire will join the program. We'll start to talk about the Super Bowl. Again, a reminder, no Friday show for the foreseeable future because of Auburn softball. We'll let you know. Probably be easier to let you know the next time we will have a Friday show, but no Friday shows for the next few weeks at least. And so tomorrow will be the last uh, edition of the show for this week. So got to start to preview the Super Bowl, of course, the Alabama and Auburn game. And with that in mind, after the Joe Bartle interview, uh, we'll bring Cam Berry in the studio, and he'll uh, give his final thoughts about those two big sporting events. So he'll join the show here at about 5.30. So uh, we will uh, have a lot to get to here in this third and final hour of the show. But let's uh, keep going with the theme that we ended the last hour with, and that is some records that are breakable or unbreakable. Of course, uh, LeBron James breaking the NBA scoring record last night. We talked a couple college football records uh, on the other side of that hour break. And uh, if you missed any of that, you can go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast and join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. So let's transition to a couple professional records. And this NFL record is really interesting. It's Jerry Rice's all-time receiving yards record, 22,895 receiving yards for Jerry Rice. This is a record that's very interesting to me because this is so far out in front of everybody else. Yeah. At a time where passing was, I mean, a couple teams were certain, certainly starting to throw the thing around, but still it was very much known to be a running game at that time. Still not the passing league that it is in large part today. Now we have an extra game on the calendar. Uh, we have plenty of quarterbacks thrown for 4,500 to 5,000 yards a season. But 22,895 is an insane amount. Is this breakable or unbreakable? Nobody will sniff that. Nobody will sniff it? No. I mean, it, here, for example, second place is Larry Fitzgerald, who you're talking about modern-day football. Larry Fitzgerald is a modern-day wide receiver. He is only at 17,492. And he is retired now. And retired, yeah. Um, but his last year was 2020 just a couple of years ago. So Fitzgerald played in that modern-day football and only got to 17,000 
that's quite a bit of a difference between 17,000 and 22,000. And so, and you, you look at some of these other great wide receivers, Terrell Owens, only at 15,934, Randy Moss at, five, at 15,292. So if those types of guys can't even get up to that, then it's not going to happen. That that's a that's a record that Jerry Rice is going to hold on to, uh, you know, from 1985 to 2004. Uh, just an insane career for him, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with some of those other records. When you when you have a guy, if you can look in a, and the record was set kind of more in recent times, I think that you could say that's attainable. But you know. Jerry Rice, you know, did the majority of his damage early on in his career, um, and that that was in you know through the uh, the nineties. And if nobody has been able to really come that close to it since then, then I I don't think that's going to happen. I I just don't see that record being broken. Could you see someone getting to twenty thousand if the record were twenty thousand? I I I no, I I really don't. Um, again. You just look at the guys that are on here that are like superstar wide receivers that have not even come close to that. Uh, again, I mentioned a Terrell Owens, a Randy Moss, Isaac Bruce. You know, the, no, I, I just I don't see that happening. Uh, I, I right, I'll tell you this: the right now, again here and here you go. The the active the the guy that's active is Julio Jones, but he's nearing the end of his career, and right now Julio Jones is only at thirteen thousand six twenty nine, right? And I mean Julio was I mean about as good as it got. I mean for absolutely seven or eight years, and I, I, that I mean that that's what's so fascinating about how Jerry Rice obtained this because there's some guys that, that still put up crazy numbers. You think of Cooper Cup the last couple of years. Stephon Diggs, uh, Mike Evans has the the record for most consecutive thousand yard seasons to start a career. Uh, and he's down for reference at forty fifth at ten thousand four hundred twenty five, and Mike Evans right now is twenty nine years old. He'll be thirty during the next football season. DeAndre Hopkins is a guy at eleven thousand two ninety eight. He is age thirty right now. He'll be thirty one before the next season starts. I, I kind of think that one day 20,000 will happen. I, I think that if you put together, again, about 15 seasons where you have between 1,200 or so yards, I can see 20,000, but those those extra yards there, almost 23,000, that, that feels pretty unbreakable too. I want to see a few more years of this pass-heavy league because there's some guys – racking up big numbers from the start like Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase that are really damn good, that are really young, that their first two or three years have been averaging over a 1,000 yards. So I, I want to see some of that with the extra game before I definitively say, like, for example, the 20,000-yard question I gave you. But 22.895 seems pretty unbreakable. What about you, Brooks? Uh, I mean, uh, when I got confused earlier, I think I kind of gave my spiel. Well, yeah. But you know, like I said, I, I think you got to be good early. You've got to you've got to show productivity early if you're going to break this record. Because you know, with all NFL players, uh, if you don't produce early, there you know, if you're if, specifically if you're wide receiver, if you don't produce early, the college football game is putting out seven to eight elite wide receivers every single year, basically. And so that team, if you don't start producing 
very quickly, they're going to say, oh, well, we'll just go get, you know, X player coming out of LSU or X player coming out of Alabama next year. He's, you know, he's going to be, you know, about he'll start out the same way or start, you know, start in the same spot as you did. And, you know, we'll, we'll try again there. It's it. it he's got to have a, a whoever's going to break. It has to have a, start producing early. I think there's potential there, especially like you guys are saying with that extra game, there's the chance to get, you know, 100 more yards receiving every, you know, sure. every single year. And so you could, if you're close, that extra game can help put you over the top there. But I think it's going to be hard to break it, be, just because of the the turnover in the NFL now, and also the longevity of players that don't, you know, they don't stick around that long right. uh, when they are at their peak. But I, I think it's I think it's achievable, especially with this uh, this other game, the second the extra game. But I think it's going to be difficult to get to. The other thing uh, to also remember, Jerry Rice is the majority of that came with Joe Montana as his quarterback. So whoever gets that record, it's also going to have to be with a quarterback that can get him the ball for a long time. Right, that is, yeah, can get him the ball for a long time. That is also putting up like outrageous numbers, like Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. I'm just Mm. (laughs) Uh, again, twenty two thousand far fetched, but I I do want to see how the seventeenth game plays a role, uh, as Brooks says. All right, let's combine these two baseball ones before we take our next commercial break and get to Joe Bartle. 4,256 hits for Pete Rose and 762 home runs, whether they were all valid or not, uh, from Barry Bonds. Those both seem uh, very hard to break. Uh, I guess the question here, do you guys agree that the home runs are more breakable than the hits? Uh, The the home runs are definitely more breakable than the hits, but I mean... Uh, you know, seven sixty two, and of course, it comes in the you know the the era where they were juicing. Right. I mean, we everybody knows that was happening. They're not doing that now, so I think it's going to be more difficult to to reach that. So, I'm not saying that seven sixty two is not attainable, but that's it's a lot more difficult than what Pete Rose did. Um, I. I don't think that the Pete Rose record will ever be broken. Uh, and again, I look at it, like I mentioned with some of the others, when you look at the guy and how long ago that record was set and that people have not been able to get that to that level in this long a period of time, don't yeah. think that somebody is going to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm going to say, the, the, you know, I pulled up the, the list of home run leaders and you had the closest you've had out of an act, you know, a semi or an active player recently was Albert Pujols getting to 703 this past year and then, you know, calling it a career. The next closest of any active player is Miguel Cabrera at 507. He's, he's, about, I mean, done, he's yeah. about done. And so, you know, it's just, it goes, you know, it, it goes back to, um, you know, that the, the just the power that Barry Bonds had, the, the which was assisted by uh, sure. some stuff, um, <laughs> some, some stuff, some stuff. Some stuff. Uh, but he was, you know, he got to that seven sixty two. I mean, but you, you know, you you can't rule it out because Hank Aaron still had seven fifty five and he wasn't juicing. You know, well, it, true. It, it's played Babe, a long time. Though. Babe Ruth had seven fourteen, which is still a little bit as a ways from the the seven sixty two. But he wasn't juicing that we know of. But like what? what no, he was juicing. He was eating hot dogs yeah. for the game. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, I don't. I can't say you you would rule it out. And I'd say it, it it's going to be very very hard to get to that seven sixty two. Yeah. Well, I, um, and now looking at the uh, hits record, and this is again why I see that's unbreakable for me. Yeah. The hits record's completely unbreakable. I do not think people will touch it. Right. Well, and, and so here's the other thing. 
P. Rose did that in a 24-year career. How many guys did you see playing 24 years in Major League Baseball now? Not many. And but again, this is I mean, you if you had 2000 or excuse me, 200 hits for 20 straight seasons. That's 4000 hits. You still need to have an, another another grouping of hits there i was going to say you need to have another year and a half of hits the uh, i went back to the list and again albert Pujols is the guy i'm going to bring up who just retired with 3384 hits still 900 and something hits away right and he's ninth all time and he's 900 hits away i mean that's five seasons of hits yeah and he's ninth and so that's not happening because guys don't even play 162 very often i could get into the obviously unbreakable streak of cal ripken Guys don't play every day anyway. Like the the longest consecutive game streak was like Matt Olson who got up like three hundred or something like that. These guys are playing. Look, you might not think it's a big deal, but they're playing one forty five and one fifty instead of one sixty two. Okay, that's twenty, thirty, forty hits times twenty seasons difference. I mean, you lose a couple seasons worth of hits once you do that over the course of time. Not to mention not actually playing twenty four seasons. Yeah, and and I was looking on this li- this list on Wikipedia shows the top two eighty eight players on the hits category. There's only four active players that are on that list. Yeah, four. Yeah. Uh, the the only thing that I could say of playing devil's advocate of not reaching that Pete Rose thing. Number six on the list is Derek Jeter, so a very modern-day player in our lifetime player. Uh, only played 20 years. It had 3,465. So if but he, that's four seasons of hits away, though. That's what, well, that's what I'm, I know. If he, play, if, he, if he plays four more years, does he catch that? Probably not because he started to play a few less games and hit well, 270 instead of 300. That's what I'm saying. Jeter... It's almost as good as it gets, and he still he's was still four a, seasons of hits away. Pete Rose, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Stan Musial. Those are your top what four. What a list. Yeah. Let's go to our next commercial break. On the other side, Joe Bartle of Rotowire coming up after this. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger FM, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lloyd, and I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me today. Oh, Danny Skutak. I was just hanging out with him a little while ago uh, before the show, watching a little bit of the old 1981 Iron Bowl that he played in. All right. Yep. Very nice. Danny uh, has been in this studio before, and uh, we appreciated that day that he came by, talked a little bit about some classic Auburn football. Let's, uh, let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line now. And next up on the program uh, is our good friend Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire back with us after a week hiatus. It is time for the Super Bowl, Joe. And uh, great to have you on the show. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm excited for uh, this week's game. Excited to be on the show. Last time talking uh, football for a little bit at least. So hopefully it's a good game. You know, that's, that's what my rooting interest is, that this is a competitive game. 
But the thing we're not talking about come Tuesday, I guess Monday, uh, but we can assume we're all in our still comatose Monday. So Tuesday is not how good Rihanna's show will be, but how good the game was. Absolutely. Now, do you have a, a favorite grouping of Super Bowl prop bets, or do you try and stay away from some, some of those uh, kind of weird angles on the game? Oh, no, no, I, I love doing the prop bets. The only issue is I typically do the research with as little time to uh, make stinker-tinker choices as possible. <laughs> so I really commit to the prop bets uh, Thursday and Friday. In fact, uh, we have a whole segment, or, or I guess probably two, dedicated to the SiriusXM show I do on Friday where we are working on the prop bets, and I love those. I, I remember two years ago uh, there was an over on Patrick Mahomes' rushing yards or Fortnite kills for the team uh, Fortnite championship. And as somebody that does eSports stuff as well, like I, did, I knew that was a lock uh, when I came to Mahomes' rushing yards. But there's, there are always things like that, and I think even more so now uh, where we're at with gambling in the stage of, uh, of America. I, like, I think there will be tons of those literally every single day to the point where a savvy site <clears throat> like Rotowire will be putting together day-by-day uh, day different uh, sections for profits to target uh, across all the major uh, all the major sports books, so that's definitely on our site. I know there's other ones, but we're the best at it. Uh, so I, I would continue to check that out. I have not personally gotten that research yet, but I know it's out there. I have not looked up all the prop bets yet, Joe, but I imagine there's going to be something on like how many times they show Jason and Travis Kelsey's mom because uh, oh, that's yeah. that's I made the rounds all week. Four and a half. Oh, four and a half? Okay. I, you know, might pound the over on that, especially in a close game or every time Travis does something. Hopefully, Jason doesn't get called for a penalty or something. Uh, but talking to Joe Bartle of Roto Wire here, uh, we did not formally recap championship week with you, Joe, uh, but just a quick thought on what we did see between the Bengals and Chiefs and then obviously the Eagles uh, with, with Brock Purdy getting hurt for San Francisco. I mean, that game was, was never competitive. And that's the type of game we hope we don't see uh, on Sunday. Yeah, exactly, and that's the the big key for me. Is uh, I have uh, zero rooting interest in either of these teams. If both could lose, that'd be totally fine with me. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So I just want a good game, and we did not get that against the Niners and Eagles. And I think it's frustrating. I believe the Eagles would have beat the Niners, possibly even handily, even if Brock Purdy was playing. But we're never going to know. And nobody has Tommy John surgery. And I know that they said six months, but I don't quite understand why baseball players are out two years and. Uh, yet you're going to have a quarterback. I would, it seems like a similar throwing motion to me, only out six months. So I don't believe at all that he'll be ready for uh, next year. And I think that only complicates the Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo angle even more. Uh, I, I was ready and pretty willing to believe that the Eagles would make Brock Purdy look more like a seventh-round quarterback. And again, there's something wrong with getting a quality backup in the seventh round. But people are talking like uh, Tom Brady and Brock Purdy, they're going to go, go coincide. I just thought that was... Ridiculous enough for hype, and unfortunately, I think we're going to get that all over again. But now the people who were making those silly comments get the cop out saying, oh, yeah, well, yeah, Tommy John surgery, of course, it's not going to look the same. No, it's just not that good. So, uh, yeah, that that was a frustrating result to me. I was also frustrated by the Chiefs and Bengals game. And I was, I believe the Bengals were the best team. I don't know, the Chiefs played way more competitive than I would have thought. I also think they were aided pretty substantially by some poor officiating throughout the entire second half, and, and I, that happens in every game. You know, think back to the, the Rams and Saints game um, from however long it was ago. That one was the most egregious error in officiating that I've ever seen, and I know Rams fans will point out how the Saints did X, Y, and Z thing, whatever. My point is it goes, it, you have to fight through the officiating. 
that it just that was the whole season. Like that was the entire NFL season. Felt like bad officiated game after bad officiated game. And what little platform I have, I want to use it to please encourage the NFL to be better at this because it ruins the experience for me. I love football. I deeply, passionately love football, but not when I have to worry about what black and white is going to do every single time uh, a critical play is made or not made, or if you just get to redo it down with the Chiefs did for whatever the reason. So that was the takeaway from a, the Chiefs-Bengals game, and it shouldn't have been. That should not have been the thing that was trending in America for two days uh, in Twitter. It's just, it, it was frustrating, but it really wasn't a, a encapsulation of what the season was for me. Joe, when you look at this uh, coming up Super Bowl, you you know there's a lot of different storylines coming into it, and there's a lot of different uh, you know uh, news around the Super Bowl. What do you make of uh, you know the Jalen Hurts maybe not being 100 percent going into this game? Yeah, I think because Mahomes probably isn't 100 percent either. It, it sort of evens out uh, in, in some ways. I was convinced post Giants game, so that was two games ago, that Jalen Hurts is going to be fine enough for this playoff run. They, they were. The Eagles were using Jalen Hurts really like they have been all season long. And if there was concern that Jalen Hurts was not going to be able to manage that workload, then they wouldn't have been putting him in that position, given the run uh, throughout the playoffs they could have had and the opponents they had, too. I know that the Eagles couldn't have predicted that they'd be down to Brock Purdy, could only throw to five yards uh, by the second quarter. But the Niners were a lesser team who was on their third starting quarterback. I mean, this was... They were uh, obvious favorites in both those games, the Giants and Flanagan, respectively. So if Jalen Hurts wasn't capable of being that level of Jalen Hurts, they wouldn't have been putting him in that spot. So I'm not, I'm not that concerned. On the flip side, I'm not concerned about Patrick Mahomes either with his uh, high ankle sprain or lack thereof. Like if it was really a true high ankle sprain, there's, there's no amount of like uh, Brett Favre level injections to your ankle that are going to make it better. Like you just, you could not operate if it was a high ankle sprain on that. So I think. The reporting got wrong there somehow, or it's like a lower degree high ankle sprain than the typical one that has to be out, out four to six weeks. Like, it you you can't just inject that. From I'm not a doctor, so I guess uh, I'll put my PhD aside here. I I just don't believe that's the case. So I think both these guys, especially with Mahomes and Hurts, getting the two plus weeks here now to get ready, they they will be good, and we're going to have like a good quarterback battle, or neither player is severely limited by their injuries good quarterback battle both of these teams have pretty good offenses to go behind those quarterbacks let's flip it to the other side uh which defense do you think has the better uh has, has gonna have the better game on sunday i think it's the eagles and, and if you were to say which one are you going to pick i'm going to lean the eagles for this exact reason because you're right both these offenses are pretty good and i think we kind of have to see what the pass catchers for the chiefs are going to do i mean if you Remember, two weeks ago, you had Juju Smith-Schuster and Nicole Harbin uh, both lead that game throughout. And I know they will play in this contest, but that actually is more worrisome to me than Jalen Hurts or Mahomes' injuries. And MVS, Marquez fellow scantling had a great game against the Bengals. As a Packers fan, I'm well aware that you're not going to get a second straight game. That's great to that level out of MVS again. So it would be a lot on Travis Kelsey and a lot on Jared McKinnon. Uh, and really the run game for the Chiefs to be able to effectively keep pace with the Eagles, and I just don't see that happening. It's, that's one of my biggest concerns, that the Chiefs can't run the ball and will become one-dimensional. And given how great that Eagles defense is, when they can pin their ears back, we've seen it this season. They are one of the best teams in the league, I think, uh, other than the Bears, or maybe they're on pace to beat the 1985 Bears uh, sack record total. I mean, it's, it's really incredible in today's day and age that there's a defense put together that can do that, but also credit to the coaching staff to getting these players into position. So I think a lot of people would have said, oh, yeah, the Eagles, pretty good defense, a pretty good team overall. 
but not one of the best defenses of all time. And I think uh, you give two weeks of preparation to that kind of squad and that coaching staff, it leans towards the Eagles in, that, in, in my mind. And then, Joe, kind of along those lines defensively, I, I feel like uh, with Kansas City's weaponry this, this year, uh, they have obviously not ended up missing Tyree Kill, and they've kind of done it by committee, but also just the fact that Travis Kelsey continues to be uh, the best receiving tight end in the NFL. If you're the Eagles, do you game plan to take him away and make the wide receivers beat you? Or do you kind of understand that Kelsey is going to get his anyway and just try and situationally be aware of him and make sure the other guys don't get going? Yeah, I think it's the latter. And you really brought up a good point. You see this in basketball all the time. And um, I, I have yet to see it really play out in, in the biggest of stages like this to the way you would anticipate it would be for basketball. Okay, you just do like a uh, you know a, a crazy defense where you're having to double-team uh, a Giannis or whatever throughout most of the contest, fine. I, I think if you're devoting enough attention to Travis Kelsey where you would expect to, given how great he has been this season and throughout his career, you're not only deviating resources away from other players, not that MVS can't still be okay, not great like last week or two weeks ago, but still okay, or same for today, Tony or Nico Hartman or Jarek McKinnon. But it's, it's also the presence of Travis Kelsey that I think would be impacting things mentally, too. Like, I think Kaiser White's one of the better, one of the best coverage linebackers in the game. He will not be able to go one-for-one one on Travis Kelsey. However, if he said, Kaiser White, let's do the best we can to limit Travis Kelsey, it allows the rest of that secondary to be truly fantastic, I think, in a lot of ways. I find the Eagles want to limit explosive plays. I can churn out yardage. We could play a field possession game. Most of America won't want to watch that. But the Eagles will very easily be able to win a game where uh, the Chiefs have to punt six times and the Eagles punt seven. Like that, that is up the Eagles' alley. But if Mahomes is able to roll out of the pocket, if he's able to make uh, deeper plays and extend plays in that regard, uh, that's that's really where the Chiefs could hurt you. Not that they're going to score big. That's that's what you could do with Tyree Kill. What you can't do now is one play touchdowns. But you certainly can change and tilt the momentum and outcome just by a couple of long first downs. So long as the Eagles manage that, and they think they should, I would be uh, really prepared for that if that's the case, then you're fine. And, and what, if Travis Kelsey gets 10 catches for 80 yards, so be it. Like you, you can win that game if you're the Eagles. It becomes much less certain if you're giving up explosive plays to the Chiefs and then feeling possibly like the offense needs to do the same thing when they shouldn't be. They, they can rely on consistent chunks of yards on the ground or through A.J. Brown um, to mitigate that kind of necessity. Talking to Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire here on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Final couple questions for Joe. Uh, let's go ahead and get the official Joe Bartle prediction here. Who you got and uh, what will be the deciding factor in this game? Yeah, so the Eagles are favored by one and a half. The over-under is at 51 and a half. I, I like the Eagles. I'll take the points of that scenario, too. I don't think the over covers. So I, I, I would either go like a 24-20 or a like a 27-20 kind of scenario. If the Chiefs score four touchdowns, they win. I just don't think they're going to be able to do that. Um, so I'll, I'll take the Eagles like a 24-21 or 24-20 over the Chiefs. The deciding factor is going to be the limitation of the big plays. In fact, one of my favorite prop bets the entire year, and I, you know, again, I'll do my research on how long Ariana Grande is going to be singing her songs, whatever it is. I don't even know if she's actually uh, out there this time around. But uh, the over-under on longest reception – Per player, 
has been one of my favorite ones to target because it's the very easiest one to scheme up or like scheme up and figure out. Obviously, there are going to be times where fluky plays happen and teams can't tackle player X, Y, and Z. But for the most part, you could be able to say, yes, this defense will allow a 25-plus yard reception to a tight end, or yes, this defense will limit the uh, receiver to under 20-yard receptions. I think if the Chiefs are able to get maybe, let's just say, five or more plays of 30-plus yards, they will win this contest. The Eagles defense should be prepared for that, even the wrinkles that Andy Reid's going to put in. Uh, and that's why I lean towards that. But that, that's my biggest difference, difference maker. And if you were to parlay Eagles to win uh, and in the cover of the spread, I would certainly take a lot of the under on those longest reception play props. He's Joe Barnell of RotoWire. Joe, as always, we appreciate the time. What can the can, what can everyone look forward to coverage wise out of RotoWire here for the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's a, it's a big sports week. So I mentioned the Super Bowl. We have like daily prop articles going up every single time. Uh, there it varies by state, but we also have like different state props uh, up as well too, depending on what your sport what sports book your state is in. Um, there are like different deals and promotions. Uh, that we are really kind of in the throngs of right now. Uh, we, we have a lot of other coverage coming, I think, either from a DFS perspective, um, from a podcast or articles as well to come, too. A lot of people love doing these single-game showdowns on uh, DraftKings and FanDuel, and I think that's kind of a, a lost art as well, too. So we have a lot of coverage in that facet. And, of course, it's a trade deadline tomorrow, right? So we have the NBA part of this as well, too. College basketball is heating up. We've got a lot of March Madness coverage, uh, and we'll continue to do so as we get ready for that. I mean, I'm, I'm loving this time of the year. Uh, I also love to get the NFL Draft Month as well. I've been doing a lot of coverage or getting prepared for that on the SiriusXM show talking upcoming rookie class. Not so many Auburn guys, but I could work you guys in at some point uh, over the next couple of weeks when we're still on air. And then baseball season, too. So there, there's literally so much going on right now. Right away, this is one of the best times, I feel like, in the sports calendar every single year. Absolutely. Well, Joe, as always, we appreciate the time. Enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. May it be a close, competitive game, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Yes, enjoy the wings, enjoy the pizza, drink responsibly, have fun on Monday, just take off at work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, Joe. All right, guys, thanks. That is Joe Bartle of RotoWire joining us here on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Always appreciate Joe uh, for making time out of his day. Talk a little football with us. The big game coming up this Sunday. One final timeout on Sports Call. When we come back, we'll start to preview that game a little bit more. Also gets uh, some th- early thoughts on Auburn and Alabama. Stay tuned. More sports call after the break. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Appreciate Joe Bartle of RotoWire right there for joining us this Wednesday, previewing the Super Bowl a little bit. This will be the final segment of the show. Got about 10 or 12 minutes left 
in the show. So let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one triple eight nine tiger 9 Next up on the show, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony joins the program. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing good. And you guys? Doing well. Doing well. I want to ask y'all about Michael Irvin. I uh, just found out he was removed from the NFL uh, coverage uh, of the Super Bowl. Uh, some kind of altercation with a woman at a hotel lobby. Uh, uh, you guys heard anything? Yeah, other than just that they that they pulled him off of all their Super Bowl coverage. There's some sort of alleged harassment deal there. I think Michael Irvin's side of it said he simply just shook the girl's hand. Uh, and that I, I'm sure there's going to be more to it in the coming days, but that's all I know right now. Okay, not much is known about this woman? Not right now, no. Okay, oh, man, I tell you, I sure hate that because, you know, he's had two and three chances. Uh, he was on the ESPN on a regular at one time, and uh, they took him off because of uh, smoking marijuana or whatever it was, and then he landed on Fox, and he was doing that for a while and did something that got kicked off that and then got a second, another, a third chance or whatever you want to call it with the ESPN, with, excuse me, with the NFL Network and then ESPN. Had him on Mondays uh, with Stephen A. Smith during the football season, uh, trying to bring him back. And uh, you know, I hate to see that for him. Now, now he's, you know, I'm not saying he did anything wrong. I mean, you never know. Some lady might have won some money. I mean, you just never know when you're sure. dealing with a high-profile person like that that has deep pockets like he has. And uh, you never know when you're talking about dealing with a woman or whatnot. But I'm not saying uh, it's, he's at fault or the woman at fault. Cause we will find it out sooner or later. I guess we will. But. You know, I just hate to see that form because uh, nowadays, you know, you mess around and misconduct, mistreated a woman some kind of way, and people don't want to have you represent them in any kind of way, uh, you know, uh, depending on what it is, what comes out or whatnot. And, uh, you know, that would be a nice income that he has that just can't be gone forever, depending on the outcome of this thing. So, uh, you know, I just hate to see that. But uh, I guess in the days and weeks to come, uh, we'll figure out, we'll find out what's going on with that. But other than that, uh, you guys, man, I tell you, basketball last night, we all lost by five points. Right, yep. Yeah, well, I tell you, it's behind you now, but we're going to see you going into this Iron Bowl of basketball coming up Saturday. If if Auburn should not be able to win Saturday, well, what what does that leave, Auburn? I mean, is, is this, I'm not going to say the season is down the drain, but wouldn't it be kind of hard to make the tournament? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, if they don't win Saturday and you got to play, uh, if I'm not mistaken, play Bama again uh, and – probably another couple of weeks or months or something and then i think they're gonna play tennessee again too is that correct right yeah they go tennessee uh they've got tennessee here on home court um there's some other games in there that are very winnable for auburn as well so uh a loss to alabama uh does not end the end their season they still got quite a bit to play for oh man i tell you well we're gonna find out what happens uh I guess, uh, to my understanding, somebody was telling me uh, tickets were about $300, the cheapest ticket you can get to that game. Uh, I don't know if it is or not, but have you guys heard anything on ticket prices? Uh, that, that's usually about what it is because the, uh, the arena over there at Auburn is pretty small, and so it doesn't have a lot of seats in it. It's definitely not a 20-some-odd thousand-seat arena. So seats are at a premium. So, yeah, about $300 or so sounds about right. And, oh, I, and I know all them students are going to be camping out. I've already seen them talking about where they can uh, pick up their tents and camping supplies to camp out overnight. Well, maybe Bruce Pearl will ride through that like Superman, drop off pizzas and get everybody riled up and, and cheered up, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, thanks, guys. 
Yeah, thank you, Anthony. That, that is Anthony from Auburn joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. For clarity, by the way, I just saw the get-in price is 150-something yeah. on StubHub. The average price might be well into the 300s <laughs> or, or more, but uh, lowest price get-in looks like it's in the 150s right now. And that's probably a standing room only, if I had to guess. Uh, I should have checked that, but uh, there were several tickets under 200. So I, I'm sure you get a seat under 200 uh, before fees, then StubHub will hit you for... Uh, dozens of dollars of fees, and then it will be $300 after you pay all that, all those fees. Uh, real quickly, going to welcome on here uh, Cam Barry onto the show here. Just a final six or seven minutes left of this show. Uh, Cam usually joins us on Fridays. We would not have a Friday show. So just want to get your thoughts, Cam and Tom, since this is your last show of the week. Brooks, you and I will just kind of shut up for the next few minutes. <laughs> Done. Uh, uh, but you guys talk a little bit about this uh, Auburn-Alabama game, and if you want a moment on the Super Bowl as well um for the Alabama game it's, it's going to be a tough one definitely Alabama's tough on both sides of the ball um uh, Auburn's just going to have to I mean honestly Auburn's going to have to play just like they played against uh Texas A&M I mean I know that was a tough loss but um they played a, a very very good game obviously the the free throw differential was something left to be desired uh, but overall, Auburn played a very solid game on both sides of the ball. Just got to stay out of foul trouble. Hopefully everybody's 100% healthy. Um, I, I think this is definitely a winnable game for Auburn being in Neville Arena. Um, I think it'll be a close one. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to – reluctantly, I'm going to pick Auburn to win just because of the home environment. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna say Auburn's going to win. I don't think there's been a line that's been released. I, I would assume not. Um, I would say Auburn's going to win by single digits, though. I think it's going to be a close game. And then just I'm going to throw out the Super Bowl real quick and then let Tom have it. Um, I think it's going to be a good one. I think the Eagles have an overall better defense than the Chiefs do, and I think that's going to be a, a major factor. Um, Coaching-wise, obviously, Andrew Reid has the advantage overall just based on experience in the league. Um, but I think the Eagles have a better team overall, just a overall well-built team. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Eagles. I think it's going to be a very good game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if just because of – I mean, you can't count out Patrick Mahomes in that entire offense. I still think the defense is going to be good, but just with Patrick Mahomes, he's an absolute X, X factor. Um, so I see the Eagles winning um, probably by about a field goal. Um, maybe a touchdown. I, I could definitely see that. Uh, maybe six, like a couple field goals. Um, and I, I think it'll be, you know, in the 20s, maybe getting into like the 30s, maybe 31 being the highest. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely could see that. Uh, basketball game, I, I, I'm pretty much right there uh, with everything Cam said. I, I'm picking Auburn to win that game. I think that ultimately the atmosphere in Neville Arena is going to be enough to push Auburn over, but it's only going to be a single-digit thing. Auburn's not going to blow them out. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be an incredible environment, and Auburn musters enough yeah, at home. I think they're to more desperate done. for a win as well. Yeah. So uh, going there with that, uh, Super Bowl-wise – you know, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. Um, I Like Joe Bartle said, I'm hoping it's just a good game. I'd love to Agreed. see one come down to the fourth quarter where it's like, oh, my gosh, what is about to happen right yep. here? That's ideal. Um, I, I got to go with the Eagles. I mean, they've been, they've been one of the best uh, in, in the league uh, all season long. They were the last undefeated team, if you remember, uh, up until they got beat. 
Uh, I know Jalen Hurts, there may be some questions on whether he's good to go or not, but so is Patrick Mahomes. And and with Patrick Mahomes' leg being what it is, I don't know if he's going to be as nimble as he has been. And the Chiefs have a very hungry defense. So got to go with the Eagles. Um, You know, and since I'm hoping it's a good game, I'm going to go with a Eagles by like three. I think it's going to be right down to the wire. White knuckle Super Bowl. Yeah, I, that's all I hope for as yeah. well as a good one. I just want to see a good Super Bowl, a good game. Both teams play well. No freak injuries. Everybody at a hundred percent, and just a great game. Yeah, we we basically what we want to do is we want to see the AFC Championship game, but just without any controversial yes. referee. Uh, we do not want to see the NFC. <laughs> championship game repeated uh that would not be ideal as you guys mentioned both quarterbacks a little banged up in their own way uh both are clearly going to play i personally think both are going to be 90 95 percent the jalen hurts thing is new to me i'm not exactly sure what's going on i mean i know he had the shoulder stuff earlier but i don't see why that's worse now than it was in the nfc championship game and then for Mahomes, look he already played on on the ankle against uh, cincinnati didn't seem like he got it any more injured in that game and then he had two now he has two weeks off so I'm yeah. not saying he's 100%, but uh, I do think he's going to be pretty close, and I don't think either one of those things will be a factor. Certainly hope not. Don't want to see uh, anything taken away from the quality of the game. Cam, appreciate you jumping in here of for course. a few minutes. and uh, having me. Big weekend in sports coming up. Can't wait. Just about a minute or so left in the show today, and so, Brooks, it's time now for the Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Nightly CVI presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer in just about 60 seconds. Brooks, what do we have? We have got sports on tonight, but first we'll start with one movie pick for you. 7 o'clock on Cinemax, it's The Born Identity starring, starring Matt Damon. Great movie. Matt Never Damon. Never seen it. <laughs> what are you talking? This is the second straight. Do you know the reference? I don't. I'm, that, uh, that was a, uh, is either Family Guy or South Park? Where they're making fun I'm of uncultured. Him. Don't I I'm sorry. Uh, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> well that that movie is on at seven o'clock tonight. College basketball action for you tonight at six o'clock on ESPN two. Number eleven Iowa State visits West Virginia. Then on ESPN U, Syracuse visits Florida State and some ACC action. Seven thirty on FS one, DePaul visits Villanova. Then tonight, the nightcap on uh, for college basketball, eight o'clock ESPN two, Florida visits Alabama, ESPN U, Oklahoma visits Baylor, and nine at thirty on FS one, UNLV visits Wyoming. NBA action for you this evening at 6.45 on ESPN. The 76ers visit the Celtics, followed up at 9.05 by the Mavericks visiting the Clippers. And then, of course, some hockey action for you tonight. Minnesota Wild visit the Dallas Stars, 7.30 on TNT. And that is a look at your nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much, Brooks, for the TV guide and for being on today. And we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, Tom, thank you again for being on this week. I hope you have a great weekend, sir, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, back to work at the the old bar job starting tomorrow. Going to be maybe a little hopping in there for the weekend. Might be. Don't know if you're going to be there Sunday at all. We're having a Super Bowl party at Fat Daddy's on Sunday uh, with a uh, potluck. So anybody who wants to come to Fat Daddy's, bring a dish and... We'll have the game on. That will be busy. And we thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer and Joe Bartle of Roto Wire for joining the program. And, of course, we thank all those who tuned in and called in. For Cam Berry, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Wednesday evening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.